Welcome to the Export. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I know for a fact is just as sick of Taylor Swift, if not more. Ethan, how you doing today? I'm good. I literally just sent you something to talking about it. So apparently, this past Sunday night, it was four million, four million less people viewed the game of the Chiefs versus Jets than any game the week before because of the Taylor Swift. Good. So, yeah, I'm pro, like, hey, bro, I don't care about Taylor Swift. I don't care that she's dating Travis Kelsey. If they want to date her, if they want to do it for a publicity stunt, that's on them. But I don't want it to be, like, a focal point of my football game. No, I'm sorry, keep going. No, no, I was just going to say, like, so I I, remember I told told you all very, I didn't plan on watching the game at all. Yeah. But it, I had reached a point in the day where I was like, I'm tired. I've been at work all day. I just want to sit down and watch a little football before me and eight and hang out. Mm-hmm. So I'm basically watching the pregame. And, like, it felt like every other 10th minute they had to show her either walking in and being in a thing. And so then me and Aiden hung out. And I was like, no, let me check social media to see if some cool stuff happened in the game. Isaiah Pacheco scored a touchdown. What's the first thing they do? Paying the Taylor Swift. And it's like, bro, nobody wants to see this. I want to see football. Yeah. No, it's very annoying because I'll give them credit. The first three quarters, obviously they showed her, but it wasn't, like, obnoxious. But the fourth quarter, oh, my gosh, it was so annoying. Like, I know I yelled at my TV at least five, ten times, like, bro, get her off the TV. Like, no disrespect to Taylor Swift. I have no beef with Taylor Swift. She's got some songs that I absolutely love. But I don't care enough about her or any musician to have them on my TV a billion times while I'm trying to watch a football game. I do not care. So hopefully the NFL will get over it. We'll stop seeing it. If they want to date, like you said, who cares? God bless them. But, like, I don't need to know anything about it. Or at least not while I'm watching football. Let's just talk about the game. Because it sucks because the game was actually really, really good. And so the Taylor Swift stuff definitely kind of ruined it. Um, But we got a cool show for you guys today. We are going to look at the NFL's revised gambling policy and kind of just take a look and see how the rules have changed for the players and if those changes are fair to pass suspensions. Uh, We're going to break down the Eastern Conference with the season being just a little over three weeks away. So we're going to do that as well as talk about the Trailblazers trading guard Drew Holiday to the Boston Celtics. And then we're going to wrap this bad boy up with fast lane predictions but before we do any of that please sure check out the export.net i repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our youtube channel entitled the x report so without further ado let's go ahead and get this bad boy started with our college football player spotlight and this week that spotlight is going on georgia tight end brock bowers considered one of if not the best tight end in the nation since his freshman year he continues to put on bigger and better performances as he inches closer to the nfl draft this past weekend against auburn had a career day had eight catches for 157 yards and a touchdown also had a carry for three yards I mean, he's big, he's fast, he's explosive, and I can't wait to see what he does at the next level. But it's just a matter of who do you think will be the best fit for him when the draft does come around. Yeah, uh, first, so I watched a bit 
that game, like that was one of the few college games I had an opportunity to catch. Mm-hmm. It was like one drive where he had like back to back one hand snags and he just like turned the whole game around. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, this dude is OD. Who do I think should go after him? Um, it's a lot of options because I mean, if you're going to, I think he could potentially be like a 10 to 15 round pick depending on the team. Right. I think the team that could use him, I would probably say, honestly, I might say that if they continue to not, if they continue to struggle, if they don't go online, I might say the Jets, depending on where they land in the um, draft order. That could be an interesting one. Um, I think for me, I'm going to go with the Washington Commanders. I mean, Sam Howell, they seem committed to him. You already got Terry McLaurin on the outside. Jahan Dodson was a first-round pick last year. Logan Thomas, their current tight end, has been fine, but he struggled to stay healthy. So I think that bringing in a player like Brock Bowers could really add another element to this offense and help take it over the edge, especially because when you look at the NFC East, you got to deal with the Eagles and their weapons, the Cowboys and their weapons. The uh, Giants, you know, if they can learn to block their quarterback and create run lanes, you have to deal with them too. So I think that bringing in a player like Brock Bowers could really do some damage in Washington. And who knows, maybe put their offense not exactly on par with Philly and Dallas, but pretty close. Um, But all right, let's go ahead and recap week four. Now, we are recording this portion of the show on Monday, so Monday Night Football between the Giants and Seahawks have not been played yet. But here are the results of the game so far. Thursday Night Football, the Detroit Lions beat uh, division rivals Green Bay Packers 34-20. Uh, in London, the Jags win their first of two international games, beating the Falcons 23-7. Houston blows out the Pittsburgh Steelers at home 30-6. The Rams beat the Colts in an overtime thriller 29-23. Vikings get their first win of the season, taking down the Panthers 21-13. Uh, Bucks beat division rivals New Orleans Saints 26-9. Philly edges the Washington Commanders in overtime 34-31. Buffalo beats the Brakes off the of Dolphins 48-20. Your Tennessee Titans get back on track, beating the Cincinnati Bengals 27-3. Coincidentally, that's what they the score that they lost to the Browns to last week. Um, Baltimore Ravens beat up the Browns this past week, uh, 28-3 win. Broncos get in the win column, beating the Chicago Bears 31-28. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers beat the Las Vegas Raiders 24-17 on a historic day from Khalil Mack. Uh, Dallas Cowboys embarrassed the New England Patriots, 38-3. Uh, 49ers easily defeat the Cardinals, 35-16. And then Sunday Night Football, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the J- New York Jets, I'm sorry, 23-20. In not the prettiest game of Patrick Mahomes' career. However, he did become the fastest player in NFL history to throw 200 touchdown passes. So through those games, uh, you and I both went 11-4, and so props to us. Um, not too much injury news to report, but big ones nonetheless. Uh, Chargers are placing starting center Corey Lindsley on IR with a non-emergent heart-related issue. He can come back in the next four 
um, four weeks from now. Uh, Packers lose starting left tackle David Bacchiari after placing him on IR after the first of two knee surgeries he's going to need. He's expected to miss the rest of the season. And the Buffalo Bills are dealt a crushing blow, losing starting cornerback Tredavious White with a torn ACL. He is done for the year. All right, let's go ahead and talk about our top five takeaways from this weekend of NFL action. Oh, for me... I didn't get a chance to watch really any football, but I think a top five takeaway is number five, the, again, going to the Raiders. They're a team that I feel like has significant amount of talent. They just need to figure out their right head coach. Um, because under Jay Gruden, they had talent on their team, but their, their coach, he wasn't able to Galvanized. He also had his off-the-field issues from a coaching standpoint. Then you bring in the interim head coach, Rich Passaccia, and, like, he had he had those guys ready to play. I think the Raiders made a mistake in trying to go after, I guess you could say, by a name standard, a sexy hire in, um, in um, Josh McDaniels. And, like, they're looking really bad because they have talent on their roster to be competitive but they just aren't competitive yeah so while i was at work i got to see very little of it but by the time i got home i got to see the last five ten minutes of the fourth quarter and like you mentioned they do have talent it's just ill-time mistake questionable play calling props to Aiden O'Connell because he was getting his butt whooped all game it wasn't just Khalil Mack but he was still in a position to help his team um battle for it towards the end of the game got a pivotal fourth down stop the defense did and had a great throw to Devontae Adams on fourth and four I believe that set them up in first and goal but yeah it the Raiders definitely are a team that on paper you can pick and see some talented guys but yeah I think the right coach is needed to help them put it all together uh, number five for me is as good as the Browns defense is, Mark Andrews is still their daddy. Um, I saw a stat earlier where in his career games against the Browns, he has over, I know it's over 1,000. It might have been over 2,000 receiving yards, um, multiple touchdowns. I mean, they just really have not found a formula to stop him, and this past Sunday was a prime example of it. Uh, he caught all five targets for 80 catches, two touchdowns, including a beautiful throw by Lamar in the back of the end zone in double coverage. So, and like I said, props to the Browns' defense. They've been much better than I thought I w- they'd be at this point in the season, but they still can't do nothing with Mark Andrews. Yeah, for me, my number, uh, my number four is – even though it's early in the season and we've talked about it several times before, the Cincinnati Bengals should just go ahead and see Joe Burrow. Um, I know that Jamar Chase was frustrated after the loss, but I think the fact that you have a quarterback that's not as mobile, even though Joe Burrow isn't the most mobile quarterback, he's a serviceable quarterback from a mobility standpoint. But when he's limited from the injury of from his hamstring and I forget, he also has another injury. calf forget, yeah calf like in your offensive line even though you invested to um improve it it still doesn't look improved I think you should just go ahead and rest your star quarterback and they'll 
he's able to come back and like lead you guys to a, a middle season push to maybe make a wild card team, that's better than just losing games and having him out there taking a beat. Yeah, I feel that because he definitely got his butt whooped this past week against y'all. And, I mean, y'all front seven, without a doubt, is one of the better ones in the league. And so he had tough sledding all day. Um, my number four is kind of talking about an AFC South team, the Jacksonville Jaguars. As good as Josh Allen is, he can't be the Jags' lone source of pass rush. He had three of the four uh, he had three of the team's four sacks this past week against the Atlanta Falcons. That's great. Never going to knock nobody for getting multiple sacks. However, this has been a consistent problem since he got drafted by them. Um, if you look at the numbers on the season, he has six of the team's nine sacks overall. That is not enough production, especially considering they just spent the first overall pick last year on Trevon Walker, who showed some potential, but he was still really raw and never really was Georgia's primary edge rusher. And I think it hurts more because you look at the rest of that class and you see what Aiden Hutchinson is doing and he was taking the pick afterwards so the Jags got to find a way to get more pass rush uh, my number three it is officially the end of the evil empire in New England um, Bill Belichick is with each passing Sunday the viability that people are saying that a lot, almost a ton of instances does have to go to Tom Brady He's really starting to gain steam because the defense has still been amazing. Like, outside of having to be on the field a ton and then giving no points because they're tired, but they they have a good defense. But when you look at the offensive side of the ball, yes, he's not as talented as, you, as they've had in the past, but I feel like you should still be able to come up with some type of a competent scheme to produce points, and they just haven't been able to do that in each of these past two seasons. And it's looking like, you know, it might be the end of Belichick and England. Yeah, I think they're on borrowed time. I kind of wish he would have retired before it got to this point because now everybody's going to be questioning his greatness and everything he's amassed over the past 20-plus years is kind of getting overshadowed because the team, more specifically the offense, sucks right now. Uh, all right, moving on to my number three, whether it be Kenny Pickett or offensive coordinator Matt Canada, something with the Pittsburgh Steelers offense is not clicking. No disrespect to the Houston Texans. They played a great game. They earned the win, not taking anything away from them. But it just seems like throughout the first month of the season, the Steelers offense has been missing something and this past week was the best rushing performance by Najee Harris had 71 rushing yards and you would think that would kind of help to kind of take some pressure off the passing game but that wasn't the case at all I mean George Pickens was an absolute non-factor Allen Robinson we haven't even really talked about him since he got traded and so I just think that the Steelers offense has to do something soon or this could be another lost season yeah I, I, I agree I think, you know, going into this offseason, a lot of Steelers fans were banging the cannon on firing OC Matt Canada, and Mike Tony gave him another shot. And so far this season, it's looking like they might have been the wrong move. Hopefully they can turn it around um, because, again, Mike Tomlin is my favorite coach in the NFL, and I don't want to see him lose, even though, you know, I still want my team to you don't want to play him. But my number two is um, in the battle of 
with Justin Fields and Russell Wilson, I think both quarterbacks prove that it's not I'm not gonna from in the case of Russ, he proved again that it's not him. And in the case of Justin Fields, I think he showed a flash of like, hey, I can be a competent NFL quarterback. The question is, can he consistently do it outside of doing it one every three games? But they both put on a, a great show. And I think that from the Broncos standpoint, like, they got to figure out what's going on with their defense. Because I don't know how they could go from being one of the better defensive units a year to two years ago. And now, like, they have teams putting up the second most points in the history of the NFL on them. And from the Bears, you show it. I say anything. Uh, and from the Bears' standpoint, just like what, what from the film that you have on Justin Fields from this game, I think you should take that film. I know it was against a bad Broncos defense, but take that film and game plan around this film and see if you can gain some success with it. Yeah, they got to do something because, like you said, I mean, it was a promising performance. The most pass, passing yards that Justin Fields has thrown since coming into the NFL – and obviously they still lost the game in like probably the most like embarrassing ways to lose. But I mean, at least there were signs. There was some potential. And I think like you said, like just find the things that Justin does well and keep doing it. I think that would be the best course of action until you know they can do that big front office and coaching staff blow up that everybody knows is coming. Um, my number two is the Titans only go as far as Derrick Henry's legs can take them. Week one, Derrick Henry only got, what, 15 carries, something like that. And even though it was a close game, they still lost. Ryan Tannehill threw three picks. They get back to what they do best, which is run the ball against the Chargers, look good. Then Brown's game happened, 11 carries for 20 yards. It's rough. What happens when they get the run game going again? More specifically, Derrick Henry, they win, and they win in dominating fashion. By having Derrick Henry be there and be able to force defenses to load the box, not only does it help out the offense because Derrick Henry's playing so well, but also it helps set up play action. And that's one of the benefits of having a guy like uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Nick Westbrook, e, uh, Kenny definitely benefited from that. I think he led the team in receiving yards this past game. And so... Time and time again, we see the Titans only go as far as Derrick Henry's legs can take them. My number one was going to be the exact same thing. I also was just going to add, from the standpoint of the team, the first two games that the Titans played, the rookie Tyson Spears had more carries than Derrick Henry. And I think they were trying to go into it with the stance of, like, we're going to preserve him and, like, um, let him rest up, but the reality of it is, like, Tyler Spears is an electric back, but until Derrick Henry shows you that he can't handle the load, let let him run. Yeah. And you can, you can put Tyler in and spot minutes to uh, give him a breather, but, like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree 100%. Like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I understand you hire a new offensive coordinator, you want to do things a bit differently, do what got you to the dance. Do what's helped you be successful. You know your defense is going to be good, or at least your front seven is going to be good. Pound the rock, win the game of uh, time of possession game, and go from there. 
Uh, my number one is the Bills are still the kings of the AFC East. This is no disrespect to the Miami Dolphins. I still think they are a good team, but the Bills just show you how important balance is because as good as the Dolphins are offensively, they do have some holes on defense, which the Bills were able to exploit. Even with Tredavious White going down, the Bills do still have a consistent and solid defense that's only going to get better when Von Miller comes back. And so while it might not be as sexy and flashy as the Dolphins' offenses, the Bills continue to get it done. Um, and my number one is. I thought I your number one was uh, Derrick Henry. Yeah, my number one was Derrick Henry. I'm sorry. Oh, you good? All right, let's go ahead and move on to our most impressive offensive and defensive players. Uh, I'll kick things off. For me, offensively, this was tough because I had somebody else at first, but then I remembered, oh, yeah, Christian McCaffrey went crazy. So, yeah, I'm giving the nod to Christian McCaffrey on 27 touches, 20 rushing attempts, and seven catches. Had 177 scrimmage yards, four touchdowns. Say what you will about the Cardinals' defense. They're still an NFL defense. And so for one person that's not a quarterback to score four touchdowns, that's always going to be impressive. Yeah, for me, it's Christian McCaffrey as well. Um because I think a lot of a lot of attention on the offense went to Brock Purdy and his success last year as a rookie, like especially given the position that he was drafted. But once Christian McCaffrey made it to San Francisco, he became a completely like different player for the better. Yeah. Uh, my most impressive defensive player, this was another tough one, but I'm going to give the edge to veteran safety Harrison Smith for the Minnesota Vikings against the Panthers. Had 14 tackles, three sacks, and a forced fumble. That's a huge game that you need from your bet. Well, second best defensive player if you're the Vikings. Your defense has struggled all season, so being able to get a performance like that in a must-win game, you're always going to be happy to see it. Oh, for me... I have to go Khalil Mack. Yeah. Like, he has six sacks in one game. He was, if I wasn't going to say Harrison Smith, it a billion percent was going to be Khalil. All right, uh, let's talk our most disappointing player. I'm not going to lie to y'all. I'm a cheat. Uh, I'm just going to say the Eagles' defense as a whole was disappointing. I mean, they allowed the Commanders to score 31 points. Had They had over 365 yards of offense and converted eight of their 17 third-down attempts. When you're a defense as talented as the Eagles, I understand the Commanders have some talent. We talked about this at the top of the show. But even still, you're expected to be a bit more dominant and not allow a team like the Commanders, who just got their butts whooped by the Bills, to take you to overtime. Um, for me, my most disappointing player, I'm going with another unit. I'm going with the Bears' defense. Like, you finally get a good game out of your quarterback. You're up 21, and you can't hold that lead, and you lose in, like, crushing fashion. Um, I think it's just, like, a, a, more, a demoralizing type of way to lose, especially when you're finally getting a game from your quarterback that you've been wanting for since he's basically been drafted. So I got to go with the Bears defense. That's fair. I have no expectations for the Bears defense, so I just – nothing they do surprise me anymore. Yeah. Um. All right, and then rookie of the week, I got to go with wide receiver Puka Nakua. Uh, against the Colts, he had nine catches for 163 yards in the game-winning touchdown in overtime, and I was at that game live. You could have heard a pin drop after that play. 
Yeah, so for me, I have to go with the guy from the guy in Houston, CJ Stroud. He's looking like, like I guess the bit. I'm not gonna say he's looking like he might have been the number one pick, but he's definitely like making the argument of like, hey, when people are saying you can really go to one or the other at number one, he's making it look very viable. Yeah, I agree with that. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to some league news. Uh, starting off with the Raiders releasing defensive end Chandler Jones. We talked about it last week. They put him on the non-football illness list, um, referring to him going through a mental health crisis. Following an arrest, he has been released from the team. Again, we're not going to speculate on nobody's mental health because you never know what anybody's going through, so prayers up to him. But it has been a lot of drama over the past month or so and so do you think a team would be willing to bring him in even though all the things that have transpired over the past month or so have happened or do you think they're going to steer clear of him because I mean he is still arguably one of the better pass rushers in the league today yeah I think I think he might not get a call. If he was to get a call this season, I think it would be later in the season, closer to the playoffs. Yeah, I could see that as well. Just because I think right now the situation's a bit too murky and teams aren't going to want to touch it, which is totally understandable. Um, but you mentioned you think it's going to be a later in the season move. What team do you think would pull the trigger? Um, let me think. I'll. And the only reason I'm saying this is because, like, I know, like, I think their defense is solid, but I know outside of one player that really kind of lack pass rush, and I feel like they have the chemistry to, like, make it work, I would either say the Chiefs or if the Seahawks were to make the playoffs. I can see that. I'm going to say the Chicago Bears. I know they're not a team that anyone's expecting to be in playoff contention, but we've talked about this before. They have no pass rush. And I think that bringing in a guy like Chandler Jones, albeit I'm excluding all the the off-the-field stuff, but I think that that could be very helpful. At the very least, he could help be a mentor to some of these young guys you have in the room. They're relying so heavily on these younger pass rushers, and it's just not working. So bringing in a guy like Chandler Jones who's seen it all, who's done it all, I think that that could be a big boost, assuming he's in a good place mentally. But all right, let's go ahead and look at some signings. Uh, The Rams uh, signed tight end Tyler Higby to a two-year, $20 million extension. 10 mil of that is fully guaranteed, so props to him. He's another guy who had a pretty good game this past Sunday. And in bigger league news, the NFL announced that it is revising its gambling policy. First, it was announced that wide receiver Jamison Williams for the Lions and Titans left a right tackle Nick petit Frary were reinstated uh, effective uh, this Monday, a.k.a. today. Uh, they had both served four-game suspensions for violating the league's gambling policy. Um, but now with the new rules, their suspensions have been shortened. Here are the new punishments. Um, there will now be increased discipline for gambling on games. Now a violation is one year and two years if a player bets on his own team. Uh, adding on to that, betting on non-NFL sports from the workplace now will lead to this discipline. The first violation will be two-game suspension without play, without pay. I'm sorry. The second violation will be six-game suspension without pay, and then the third violation would be a whole season without 
pay. How do you feel about these new rules? Do you think that they're fair? Do you think they should have kept it how it is? What are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I personally never felt like the way that they handled the gambling stuff was fair. Um, but like now, for you to say like, hey, if a guy, I think now I will say this: if somebody were to place a bet in a team facility, I think they just they they deserve the suspension, not because I think it's wrong. But because I think it would just be dumb because they talked about how rules are set up so much now to where it's like you have to know like there's something you shouldn't do so you should just face the punishment. Um, but I think in the context of like giving somebody a year for gambling for a non-football related bet, I definitely think making it a year is like a stretch because it's like I just have personal issues with it where, like, the NFL, every Sunday, watch them have all these commercials about sports betting, and you, you're punishing players for betting on sports. I just think it's, like, hypocritical. I agree. I think it is hypocritical as well. I think... I think I have more of an issue with the lengths of the previous suspensions just because you see what other athletes get or players get who've done worse stuff. A prime example is Deshaun Watson. He was suspended 12 games for having over 20 uh, accusations against him about sexual harassment, and yet he only got 12 games. Whereas Calvin Ridley, who I'm not saying was right to bet on his team, because even, no matter what the bet is, like it makes the league look bad, and it tests not only the league's credibility, but your credibility as well as an athlete. And so that is problematic. So in that case, I get a longer suspension, but I don't think he should be suspended longer than somebody like Deshaun Watson or guys who are charged with domestic violence and things of those nature. So I, I like that they changed it. But I, I, I do agree with you. Like, if you are making bets at the facility, no matter who you're betting on, it is stupid to do because the league has been made it pretty clear you're not supposed to. And so if you're still doing it, you're just asking to be punished because the league is always going to find out. You're not getting away from the league. But all right, let's go ahead and play our quick game of believable or buffoonery um, and then make our week five game pick. So starting with uh, Pittsburgh Steelers legend James Harrison, he was recently asked if he believed that he was a Hall of Famer. And he said this, as far as the Hall of Fame, you know, it's a lot of things that go into that. And I believe numbers is one of those things, you know. And when you look at my numbers, they just don't, for me, they don't equate to what the numbers should be. Now, if we're talking numbers, I think James Harrison has a point. Um, on the all-time sacks list, he has 84.5, which is tied for 99th most in NFL history. But looking at the rest of his resume, it is very impressive. He has is a five-time Pro Bowler, two-time NFL All-Pro, two-time Super Bowl champ, and was Defensive Player of the Year in 2008. So, Ethan, is it believable or buffoonery that James Harrison won't make the NFL Hall of Fame? I think it's believable. Um, again, like his his accomplishments overall are amazing. Especially given the standpoint that he was a guy that was undrafted, got cut by multiple teams to have the career that he had. But I don't think that like that's going to equate to him being in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, if he does make it, I don't think it's going to be first ballot. But, I mean, again, you take away 
the sacks or just look at what he's accomplished, it's very, very impressive. I mean, hey, 84 and a half sacks is nothing to sneeze at, but I think that was uh, not just, I'm sorry, uh, TJ Watt passing his all time sack record already, and he's only, what, 28. I think that does kind of hurt his case a bit because he played over a decade and TJ knocked it out and he was drafted in, I think, 2017. So I think that fact or at least the lack of more sacks or at least triple-digit sacks would hurt his case. All right, uh, moving on to current NFL players, more specifically in Carolina. Reportedly, uh, the Carolina Panthers are in the market for a starting wide receiver. Uh, The team also could look to trade for a safety with uh, starter Xavier Woods dealing with a hamstring injury. Let's just focus on the wide receiver part. Right now, their receiving core is Adam Thielen, the veteran of the group, and Bryce Young's favorite target thus far. Uh, DJ Chark, who they signed to a one-year deal. Jonathan Mingo, who they drafted in the second round this past year's draft. Uh, Terrace Marshall, another guy they took in the second round a few years back. So, believable or buffoonery, the Panthers will make a trade for a wide out before the NFL trade deadline? Uh, I'm going to say believable because I think it's, I don't think they'll make a trade for like a top guy, but I definitely think they might make a trade for like a, I hate to say because he's a high topic, but I can see them making a trade for like a guy like Chase Claypool. Ugh, I would not touch Chase Claypool with a 10-foot pole. But he's another guy in the trade market, too. We'll see how that all unfolds. I'm going to say buffoonery just because considering what they had to give up to get um, to trade up to the first overall pick this past year to get Bryce Young, I just don't know if you want to give up the trade assets. Now, that could be different. You know, you could change your mind and want – maybe to give it a shot to help out Bryce Young and help get him some connection with his receiver at least sometime during this season. But as of right now, I don't know if it's worth it. Now, if they have something in the works, like maybe trading a guy like Brian Burns for a wide receiver, something along those lines, which I wouldn't do. But maybe they can make some shake. But if it's just based off the draft picks they have right now, I don't think they'd do it. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game picks for week five. Starting with Thursday night football, we have a rousing game between the Washington Commanders and Chicago Bears. I think this is going to be a pretty solid game because neither defenses look great, but I'm still going Commanders. I'm going Commanders. All right, uh, going to London this Sunday morning. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars facing the Buffalo Bills. I got Bills. That is a great question. I have no idea. Like, I know they get a London game every week, but I guess their thought process is at least you won't have to travel twice because I think they're still in London. Yeah, I mean, it still sucks. I wouldn't want two international games, but that's just me. Uh, next up, we got the New York Giants versus the Miami Dolphins. I got Dolphins by at least two touchdowns. Dolphins. Uh, New Orleans Saints versus the New England Patriots. I think Saints get back on track and win this game. Saints. Baltimore Ravens versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I got Ravens. Ravens. Detroit Lions versus the Carolina Panthers. I got Lions. Lions. Houston Texans versus the Atlanta Falcons. This is kind of tough 
but I think I'm going to go Texans. It's not tough. I'm going with the team that I feel like has the better quarterback, so I'm going Texans. That's fair. How The reason why I say it's tough is just the, it's not like the Texans' run defense has been that good this season. And so if the Falcons don't do nothing else, they're going to run it. And so I could see that being a Bijan, Tyler Algier type of day. Um, Indianapolis Colts hosting your Tennessee Titans. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals heading, heading to the desert to face the Cardinals. I got Bengals getting the convincing win. I got Bengals. I don't know. How healthy is uh, – no, not even how healthy. Can the Bengals keep a clean pocket for Joe Burrow? I think that will be the determinant factor. Yeah. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles versus the Los Angeles Rams. I got Eagles. Eagles. Kansas City Chiefs versus the Minnesota Vikings. I think this is going to be a high-scoring game, but in the end, I still got Chiefs. I got Chiefs, too. Uh, Denver Broncos playing host to the New York Jets. I got Broncos. Broncos. Uh, 49ers versus the Dallas Cowboys Sunday Night Football. This is going to be a good game. Um, I still got 49ers, though. Me too. And last but not least, Monday Night Football, the Las Vegas Raiders are hosting the Green Bay Packers. I got Packers. I have Packers, well. All right, and then there are four teams with the early bye. That is the Cleveland Browns, Los Angeles Chargers, Seattle Seahawks, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All right, let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookie players we are watching this week as well as who we're calling out. So you can start us off. Uh, offensively, I am going to be watching uh, – I'm going to be watching – I'm going to watch Derrick Henry. I mean, he's kind of, he came off a big game. I want to see if the Titans are still going to utilize him in a way that I think they have to the win. And, like, because, like we said earlier, when Derrick Henry goes, if you look at the two wins that the Titans have this year, when Derrick Henry then goes and you're able to utilize play action, the offense looks completely different and it's more dynamic. And I think that's the way you're just going to have to play from now on. Just own up to it. So I'm going to watch Derek here. Uh, I'm watching Dak Prescott. I mean, he's a guy who really has not been asked to do much just because the defense has really carried the load. That's not going to be the case Sunday night. It, this is going to have to be a game where Dak Prescott takes the bull by the horn and lead his team to victory if they hope to beat the San Francisco 49ers. So my eyes are definitely on him. For me, defensively, I'm going to be looking at another guy in the game. I'm going to be looking at Dick Bosa. Like, if you're going to want Dak Prescott to have a big game, I feel like a key thing that's going to stop it and maybe flush the Dak Prescott is if Nick Bosa can get to him and cause havoc, which we know that he can do. Uh, my defensive player, I'm going to London. I'm going Tyson Campbell, cornerback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. We just saw what Stephon Diggs did this past week against the Miami Dolphins. He's still showing that he is, at worst, a top 10 wide receiver in this league. Tyson Campbell is fine, but I don't think he's established himself as one of the top guys at his position. No better way to do that than to shut down or at least contain a guy like Stephon Diggs, which the Jags are going to need if they want to have a chance to win this game. My rookie, I'm, I'm just going to be big on 
I'm still watching Jalen Carter, but I just want to see CJ Stroud, see if he's still able to be successful. Uh, my rookie is going to be cornerback for the New York Giants, Deontay Banks, another guy who's facing a tough matchup. He's been starting all season, and I don't know how much he's going to be lined up across from Tyreek Hill, but everybody knows that's a very difficult matchup. And then even if it's not Tyreek Hill, you got Jalen Waddle, another speedster. So this is going to be a big test for the rookie. Uh, what team are you calling out this weekend? Team that I'm calling out, um... I'm gonna call out the I'm gonna call out the Packers. I think because I watched the game that they play um Thursday. Thursday. And they and this, this is one of my points, I'm sorry. Their offense, they need to play to start the game, they need to play like they do when they play from behind. Cause when the game starts, they're slow, it's like they can't get out of the gates. But, like, for whatever reason, once they get behind a couple touchdowns, they turn into a completely different unit. And I feel like if they were able to start games the way that they try to finish games, they could have they could potentially be, like, 3-0. and I don't – because who they play? I think they could have beat the Falcons for sure. Lions game was kind of a toss-up. I mean, more. It's, I don't even really totally blame the offense for that. The defense just got punched in the mouth. Like, David Montgomery, they could do nothing with that man. Yeah, so he was almost my uh, offensive player. He's actually who I had first as most impressive player before I remembered uh, Christian McCaffrey. But, no, nah, he – so, yeah, that defense, or at least the run defense, got to get it together. Um, yeah, the team I'm calling out is the Minnesota Vikings. Again, we both picked them to lose to the Chiefs. I'm sure a lot of people are going to pick them to lose. But I think that this game could be a lot better than people are giving them credit for. If their defense can just play competent enough, their offense has the weapons to make it a game. Their offense has the weapons to embarrass the Chiefs' defense. Because let's be honest, look what the Jets did with Zach Wilson at quarterback. And... Uh, Kirk Cousins is much better than Zach Wilson. I would take the offense of the Minnesota Vikings over the offense of the Jets any day of the week, especially because of Jay Jettis, because nobody on the Chiefs defense is going to stop him. So I think that this is, they have a chance to win, but again, it just comes down to their defense, and they got to limit the turnovers. they got to keep the ball in their possession. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA, but first – WNBA Finals matchup is set. We have the New York Liberty versus the Las Vegas Raiders. Best of five series. Even, I don't know how much you've been watching, but who you got? Oh, you meant Aces. You said Raiders. I'm sorry. I meant Aces. Sorry. Football brain. Las Vegas. I I haven't had a chance to watch, but I do want the Aces to win because I want them to get their get back from losing to the Liberty, like, basically the whole season. I want to say, I know they won the first matchup against them, but I think they lost the next two. Um, I also got Aces one. I love me some Asia Wilson. I think she's amazing. I know Candace Parker hasn't been playing, but obviously I want CP3 to get her money too. I mean, I really just like the construction of the Aces, and no disrespect to Sabrina Ionescu, Jonquil Jones, uh, Stewie. They are amazing, but I feel like just from top to bottom, the Aces are the better team who have that championship pedigree, and I think that's going to help them uh, win in five. 
All right, now let's talk some NBA moves. Starting with the Pacers signing guard Alfred Payton to a deal. The Washington, I'm sorry, uh, the Golden State Warriors have signed veteran Rudy Gay to a one-year deal. This will be his 18th NBA season. Loki kind of thought he retired, but happy to see him still around. Um, and not so great news, the Charlotte Hornets have announced that uh, center Kai Jones has been sent away from the team indefinitely. Uh, Kai Jones was the 19th pick in the 2021 draft. And while he and the team remain in constant communication, there's no timetable for his return. Uh, while it's not officially being reported, it's hard to imagine that it's not directed towards some of the things that he would say on social media about himself, about his teammates. So it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. And then on to some bigger news with the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Drew Holiday, they received in a trade package, uh, sending Damian Lillard to Milwaukee. And now they have flipped him, sending him to the Boston Celtics in exchange for center Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, a 2024 uh, first-round pick by the Golden State Warriors, and a 2029 unprotected Boston first-round pick. So let's just talk about this trade from both sides. How do you like this move? Um, I mean, I'll start with the Blazers side. If you look at it from the stance that they were able to flip Damian Lillard into all of this, the Blazers get a plus. Because when you look, and me, you talk about it off air a little bit. If you think about it, you flip Damian Lillard for basically a starting level center, a a good rotational um, a good rotational center, a good rotational guard that could potentially be a six man out of Brogdon if he's healthy. Like you kinda trade you essentially outside of what you already had on the team, you traded Damian Lillard to get back like starters and bench players for one guy. So I think they get an A plus. From the Celtic standpoint, I think it's a good move because you replace what you lost in Marcus Smart, you, you obviously are going to get the the heart and the fire that you would, that you would have had if he was on, on your team, but you still want to get a really good defensive guard that can guard multiple positions. You also get a guy that he's a capable offensive player. Like He can knock each shot 39.5% three last season. And he can get you like 18 to 20 points on any given night. So I think it's a good move for both sides overall. I think the only thing from the Celtics standpoint is, it is like, is it enough to get over the hump? Yeah. I mean, also from the Celtics standpoint, we kind of talked about this off the air, but Robert Williams, though health had always been an issue for him, he still was a very valuable big for them when he played. And so now my question is, how do you replace a guy like that? Because looking at their current roster, they have Al Hord for there, but nobody's exactly looking to him to be a defensive domino. domino. Um, same could be said for Chris Osporzingis. Um, And so I just think in the meantime, like, I know it's only a few weeks before the season starts and it's going to be tough sledding, but I still think that they would benefit from bringing in a big because right now the centers on their roster, or at least according to ESPN, are Al Horford, Luke Cornett, um, Niamis Quetta, and Christoph Porzingis. 
Do you really want to run the risk of playing Al Horford at the five and then getting bullied when you play guys like a Joel Embiid or a Nikola Jokic or even a Giannis if they want to put him there? That would be my biggest question with that. Um, and then from the Trailblazers standpoint, um, it's being reported uh, by Woj that the Blazers are committed to their young guard rotation and plan to trade Malcolm Brogdon elsewhere. And so if Malcolm Brogdon was to be traded, what team do you think should try to go after him? Um, if he's healthy, I think the team has to go after him with the Phoenix Suns because he's a guy that he can come off the bench and be your six man. He proved that this past year because, or was it the year before last? He won six man of the year. I forgot what year it was. But also, when you're dealing with a team that has Bradley Beal, who recently has had injury history, if Bradley Beal goes down, you can insert Malcolm Brogdon. He won't be nearly the player that Matt Bradley Beal is, but he can still be serviceable in that position. So I think that's what you go after. That would be a good move. Um, I would throw in a team like the Denver Nuggets into that mix. Again, we know how good their starters are. And while their bench isn't exactly chalk full with superstars they are able to get the job done however in losing a guy like bruce brown i think you need to find somebody who can kind of give you that same production off the bench and while obviously they're two different players play two different positions i think that malcolm brogdon could provide that scoring element for them that they did lose so that's where i would go in that situation um but keeping things in uh portland it's been reported that apparently after seeing that a trade was not going to work out between the Trailblazers and the Miami Heat for Damian Lillard, uh, Dame reportedly tried to rescind his trade request. Um, however, Blazers GM Joe Cronin allegedly responded that there was no coming back. Apparently, uh, Damian Lillard was shocked and discouraged by this, according to Bleacher Report's Chris Haynes. So, I know we talked about this off air. I think we both agreed that we understood where the GM was coming from. But after everything that's transpired, do you think that he and the Trailblazers should have tried to make something work, or was it better for both to just kind of get a fresh start? I think it was better for both because I think if you're the Blazers side of it, if you go into another season with Damian Rivers after the all season that you've had him requesting a trade and all the like drama that came with it and you draft a guy like Scoot Henderson and you're basically saying like hey we're, we're about to commit to these young guys in the future like that's just it's going to, it's not going to get you anywhere because you're just going to have Dave there like is he commit to a school and I think you still have you still could potentially have a guy that commits to him because even though he's still young relatively Anthony Simons can be a guy that needs to get to a school right now. Um, but then from the Dame side, I think personally, like, you show countless of years of your loyalty to Portland. Like, be selfish and go somewhere where you can get a ring. Yeah, I feel that. Um, from the Dame perspective, I mean, I can understand why he would just say forget it. I'll just stay. But, I mean, like you said, he's given – over a decade plus to the Trailblazers, and he's done all that he could do. And, I mean, looking at the current roster, they've already made it clear they're committed to going young, and so I don't think that they were in a position to compete for a championship. So I think it was better for him to go ahead and move on. And same for the Blazers, because now 
you got a fresh slate. You got a clean slate where you can just see how things go, see how good Chauncey Billups is, not only as a coach orchestrating what these guys do on the court, but also just how does he build up these young guys and develop them because clearly they have a lot of faith in them. And I think that faith is going to be warranted. But like you mentioned, having Dame there kind of slows down that process because I don't think that in the long run you could realistically keep Scoop uh, and for me and Dame and think it was going to work out. One of them would have had to leave. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to some injury news. Uh, starting with the Washington Wizards, they are going to be without guard Landry Shamet, who suffered a broken big toe, and, a, and center Daniel Gafford, who's suffering an elbow injury for the next two to four weeks, potentially meaning they may miss uh, the season opener in the next three weeks. And going to the Golden State Warriors, it's come out that um, Draymond Green has sprained his left ankle and could be out for the next three to six weeks, making his availability for opening night a big question mark. Let's say Draymond can't go and possibly misses that first week of the season. How big of a blow is this for the Warriors? Uh, I think it's I think it's a big blow because we say that like when the Warriors haven't had Draymond, they don't have like the continuity and the flow that they would normally have because you, if Draymond's out, you're probably going to insert like Moses Moody or Jonathan Kaminga into the lineup. And like, even though they're effective in their own right, I think the thing that Draymond brings is just the, the IQ and the um, playmaking ability that you need and like you're going to rely like you're going to take away in some instances like one of Steph's great probably his greatest attributes moving without the ball because you're going to have to put the ball in his hands because you're not going to have that many playmakers on the court yeah I would agree with that um, all right, let's go ahead and move on to our Eastern Conference breakdown. For those of you who've been listening for a while, we do this every year. And for those of you who are recent listeners, you probably heard us do our NFL divisional breakdowns. Now we're going to do it with the NBA, but instead of just breaking down all the different divisions, we're going to do the conferences, starting with the Eastern Conference. And as we start off almost every breakdown, let's talk the most underrated team in the conference. Who would you say that is? Most underrated team conference I'm going to I'm it might sound weird but I'm still gonna I'm gonna go with the Miami like I know that they lost a lot I know that they did get down but I feel like when the smoke clears you're gonna look up and they're gonna be a team in the playoffs that's gonna potentially fight to make it farther than you ever thought they were gonna make during the season yeah, and I mean, with Jimmy Butler there, they have proven that they can be that team. Um, I'm going to go with the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, they were able to re-sign Cam Johnson. It's going to be a full season, hopefully, with Michael Bridges in the fold. And, I mean, I think they showed some really nice flashes and showed some signs of life um, after that big trade took place in the KD to Phoenix. So I'm interested to see how they all put it together now that they're going to have a full offseason and season together. Because, again, they already showed that they can't compete and that they still were a playoff team. And so now it's just a matter of trying to build upon that. Um, all right, who do you think is the most overrated team? The most overrated team in the Eastern Conference. I'm going to say 
I'm honestly gonna say Boston. Like, I think they do have a lot of talent. I think they do have uh they are a legitimate championship contender. But I think like people don't necessarily give them the um the flat for like losing big games like they do other teams. And I think every year when the season starts, like people always kind of like overhype them. Yeah, I'm going to say the Philadelphia 76ers for a similar reason. I mean, not saying that James Harden is like a major piece of the puzzle, but until they get this resolved, I just think it's going to be an issue with cohesion in that locker room. And then just from top to bottom, Everybody knows Joel Embiid is amazing. He's coming off of an MVP year. Tyrese Maxey has shown some serious flashes. But beyond those two, there's not really anybody else that you get that excited about. Like Tobias Harris is still solid. But, I mean, he's kind of lost a step over the past few years. They brought in Kelly Oubre, who was fine, but not exactly a game changer. Same could be said for uh, Patrick Beverly. And so – We've talked about this a lot. I think it was when the schedule came out, like our bold predictions and stuff. So I'll kind of get to that in a little bit. But I just don't think that this 76ers team is as strong as it's been in the past. And so because of that, I don't see them being a Eastern – let me let me phrase that. I don't see them being a legit contender to represent the East in the finals, or at least not with the way their current roster is constructed. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to our top three favorite players in the conference. Top three favorite players in the Eastern Conference. Um, number three, I will say, is, shoot, I'm trying to think who all is in the East. You want me to go first? Yeah. I mean, the only big change I have is Bradley Beal isn't in the Eastern Conference no more. Uh, but three for me is Giannis. Love me some Giannis. Two, Donovan Mitchell. Number one, obviously Jimmy Butler. Okay, three for me is Jimmy Butler. Two for me is Giannis. And one is DeMar DeRozan. I'm low-key kind of surprised that Joel Embiid didn't make your list. He's four. That's fair. That's kind of how I feel about DeMar. All right, let's talk to top three players who need a – who are not need, but are in a prove it year. Top three players. Um, number three in my opinion is actually a combo of Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan in Chicago. Number two, I'm going to say Joel. No, actually, number two, I'm going to say Jimmy Butler. Number one, I'm going to say Joel. Um, number three for me is Trey Young, mainly because his name was brought up quite a bit in trade discussions, and I feel like if the Hawks have another underwhelming season, they could elect to go towards a rebuild and move on from him. Uh, number two, Joel Embiid. I'm sure it's for the same reasons. And then number one for me is Damian Lillard. I know this might be surprising considering he just got there, but so many people are trying to anoint the Bucks as NBA championship favorites or at least Eastern Conference favorites because Dame is there. But that's a lot of pressure to put on somebody who's never played a game with Giannis Antetokounmpo or at least not a real NBA game. And so because of that, I think that if he does not perform to the level that everybody is expecting him to or if 
he gets that opportunity in the playoffs and then isn't the same guy, or if it's just another early exit for the Bucks in the playoffs, I think that is going to have a lot of people looking at Damian Lillard sideways, even though that's not exactly fair. Um, all right, top three breakout candidates. Top three breakout candidates in the East. Um, number three, I'm gonna go with Evan Evan Mobley. Number two, I'm gonna go with uh Tyrese Maxey. And number one, I feel like it's not a break not a breakout. I feel that. I actually almost said Cam. Um, number three for me is Hornet Center, Mark Williams. Kai Jones isn't there, and I think that this is a big opportunity for Mark Williams to kind of take hold of that starting center position and hold on to it, especially because the Hornets desperately need somebody who can really dominate at that position. Uh, two, Benedict Matherin. I think that the Pacers, we talked about this a lot, like just in the 2K aspect, but just as a team, I think that they have some really nice pieces, and Benedict as a rookie showed some nice flashes, and I think that as long as he can stay healthy, him and Tyrese Maxey could uh, – create a really formidable backcourt duo, not just in the Eastern Conference, but in the entire league. And then number one, Tyrese Maxey, because James Harden is going to get traded at some point or cut. He's not going to be there the full season. And like I've touched on months ago, Joel Embiid, I think, is still going to end up getting traded at the deadline because the 76ers are going to be in rebuild mode. So it's going to be the Tyrese Maxey show. Um, Who is the rookie that you are watching? Same. We have the same player. No disrespect to any of the other rookies, but Brandon Miller was an easy pick. All right. Uh, bold predictions for the conference. Bold prediction is that this is Joe Willoughby's last year in the second season. Yeah, definitely agree with you, but I'm going to take it a step further. I think. Joel Embiid, OG Ananobi, and DeMar DeRozan are all traded before the trade deadline. Joel Embiid already touched on it. OG Ananobi, reportedly, it doesn't seem like he wants to sign a long-term deal with the Toronto Raptors. And so if you're the Raptors, if he already wants to leave, you might as well go ahead and move him so you're not losing him for free. And then DeMar DeRozan, you kind of touched on it just with him and Zach Levine facing a prove-it year. We've already talked about it. We kind of feel like the Bulls, as they're currently constructed, this is the last year that it happens like that. And I think it's kind of better to just go ahead and cut your losses sooner rather than later, especially because a team that could be contending for a playoff spot could see DeMar DeRozan as like that missing piece to the puzzle. So I think that all those guys are going to end up getting traded. All right, last but not least, who do you think wins the Eastern Conference? The Bucs. I'm going to say Celtics. No disrespect to the Bucks. I hope I'm wrong, but as of right now, I think the Celtics are a bit better, especially after getting Drew Holiday. All right, let's go ahead and play our game of legal or buffoonery and then move on to our WWE talk. And we're going to start things off with the Milwaukee Bucks, who it's come out recently that there was a trade on the table that would have sent Jimmy Butler to the team back in 2018. However, Giannis vetoed the trade because in order for it to happen, 
Chris Middleton would have had to been sent to Minas, uh, Minneapolis. So, believable or buffoonery, the Bucks made a mistake not trading Chris Middleton for Jimmy Butler. Um, I think it's tough because the Bucks won a championship. I think the combo. I don't know if the combo of Jimmy Butler and Giannis would have necessarily worked because I think you need guys that are consistent three-point shooters to be able to play with Giannis. And Jimmy, that's not Jimmy's strong suit, so I'm going to say I'm going to say buffoonery. I'll say buffoonery as well, mainly because, like you said, they still got a ring out of it, so can't really complain if you win a championship. Um, all right, moving on to another team in the Eastern Conference, the New York Knicks, who reportedly have made Mitchell Robinson available um, in exchange for two first-round picks. He's another guy I'm kind of surprised he even re-signed with the Knicks last year just because it seems like they've been trying to trade him forever. But believable or buffoonery, Mitchell Robinson will be traded before the season starts. For two first-round picks? Ain't no way. believable as well I think he is going to end up being moved I could see a team that is notorious for drafting late in the first round doing it like not saying the Celtics would do it but they usually have a pick like in the high to low 20s that draft pick isn't really going to make or break anything for them so they could possibly do it or a team like the Lakers or somebody like that who usually picks late and so in that retrospect yeah I could see it happening um but so I'll say believable, but I have no clue where it's gonna end up being. All right, couple more things before we move on. Ben Simmons, a guy who keeps saying that this is gonna be his year, he's gonna turn it around, blah, blah, blah. It's a nobody really cares when it's him saying it because he hasn't backed it up. However, one of his teammates threw him some praise in that being guard Spencer. Dan Witty, he made this claim about Ben Simmons. He said, when you look at Ben, he's a monster in transition and makes plays for each other. Ben is the best form as far as a more athletic Draymond Green, able to guard one through five. He's one of the only people who can do that. So, believable or buffoonery, Ben Simmons is a more athletic Draymond Green. Yes, but the only difference is yeah, I would agree with that completely. Because you take Ben Simmons off the court, nothing changes. You take Draymond off the court. We can say what we will about his character and how he conducts himself on the court, but he has a massive impact on the Warriors, which is why they did not let him leave. All right, last question. And this isn't even about a player, but potentially something that could affect players. So current uh, Los Angeles Lakers general manager Rob Palenka says that he's been advocating to the NBA's competition committee for the complete elimination of back-to-backs in future NBA scheduling in order to solve the player West Condry as well as, I'm sorry, solve the uh, player's rest quandary that has damaged uh, fan interest in the overall product. So, 
believable or buffoonery. Taking away back-to-back games would get players, to, or star players at least, to play on a more consistent basis. I think it's believable. Yeah, I'm going to say believable as well just because, I mean, that's less wear and tear on your body, and so players can't make the same excuse if they play the next night as opposed to, like, two or three nights later. So, in that, I agree. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to WWE. <laughs> As we all know, I cannot just talk wrestling action by myself. I always got to bring in, when I can, a very special guest. He is my embryo, my embry bro, my embry ho, Chris Waters. How you doing today, embryo? Oh, doing good. You know, I'm, I'm super busy, but I'm always find time for my reign. So, you know, I'm doing good. Oh, that makes me feel so special. You want to know what else makes me feel special? The fact that in just a few days, Raven will be back in the building for a wrestling pay-per-view because Fastlane is this weekend in Indianapolis, and I'm so excited, but I I hate that you can't come. Oh, it's okay. I feel like, you know, the the love you bring for wrestling, you know, you can do it for both of us. You know, it's okay. We'll we'll go together one day. Most of when WrestleMania is in Nashville, we in there. I don't I don't know. I forgot I gotta relook. I think that was bidding for I don't think it's even official. Look, if it if and when it happens, we're in there. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah. Would that be the time where I'm like living somewhere else? I finally moved out of Memphis. Yeah. We gonna we gonna have fun. But uh speaking of having fun, we're going to get to those fast lane predictions, but there are some interesting things around the WWE and wrestling landscape that I wanted to talk to you about so without further ado let's go ahead and get started now maybe my segue wasn't the best because what we're about to talk about is not that fun and it is the latest crop of wwe releases um a couple weeks ago the wwe listed 22 wrestlers who were released from the business um or at least from that specific company and here are some of the more notable names. Dolph Ziggler, Sheldon Benjamin, Elias, Mustafa Ali, Emma, Dana Brooke, Rick Boogs, Aaliyah, Riddick Moss, Top Dollar, Mace, Mansoor, um, Dabo Kato, a.k.a. Commander Aziz. He was on NXT. Uh, those are some of the biggest names. And Shanky, uh, who has been working with um, Jinder Mahal down at NXT. So, of the names of the wrestlers released... Oh, also Matt Riddle. My bad. Totally forgot. But of the names that were released, which ones were probably the most shocking for you? Ah, most shocking. Um, I'm gonna, you could say Matt Riddle, but he was dealing with a lot of problems. Um, I forgot what the latest one was, so I'm not gonna talk about it. I honestly forgot what it was about. It's something at an airport. Yeah, and I, if I'm correct, I don't remember if he was in the wrong or not. Can't remember. I'm not gonna talk about it. Yeah. Um, I will say Mustafa Ali only because he was the one being used on TV the most. He was literally um, set um, to fight Dominic Mysterio for the championship. And, like, the week of, he gets released. And uh, he he asked for his release for the longest. They never gave it to him. Then when you actually start to use him on TV more, and um, he's in a nice little storyline with Dominic Mysterio, you release him before the match. That was, like, one of my biggest, one of the shocking, shocking, biggest, the biggest, I can't even think. The most shocking. There it is. Um, but you could easily also choose Dolph and Benjamin and, uh, because they was there forever. And um, all, those, all those people are going to be missed. Yeah, agreed. I would also say Mustafa Ali, especially because 
he had a championship match with uh, Dom, Dirty Dom, set up for No Mercy, which I do need to watch because it seems like it was full of nothing but bangers. And reportedly, I don't know how true this is or not, but apparently he was supposed to win the North American Championship. So it makes it even more confusing that he was released. Um, but yeah, I would say he's probably the biggest surprise. Like you mentioned when Matt Riddle, it kind of wasn't all that surprising just because he's, it seems like he's always in some sort of drama. And after a while, WWE's not going to keep putting up with it, especially if you're not one of the main guys. So yeah, of the people, Dolph was kind of surprising, but he hasn't been on TV in a while. Sheldon, love me some Sheldon Benjamin, one of my all-time favorites, but again, not really using him and then everybody else. Not all that surprised by it, but wish them the best in their future endeavors. I'm sure we will see them on our TV screen For soon sure, enough. Sure. But I, speak- I definitely think so. Yeah, go ahead. Continue. Oh, no, no. I'm just agreeing with you. I definitely think we're going to see them. But a lot of them, like Dolph, all of them, but mostly I definitely say Dolph, Benjamin, um, Ali. We're going to see them somewhere else. One thing I will say, I think Matt, but I think Matt Riddle would have survived if Randy was healthy. If Randy was still around and RK Bro, he probably would have still been around. But not knowing when Randy's coming back, they probably just like, forget it. We can always bring Randy back by himself. So that's probably how they had that conversation. <clears throat> that would be interesting. I'm trying to think. That would be pretty interesting. But I think, what, Randy's been gone for over a year now? Over a year now, yeah. I think they probably would have, like, done the RK Bro thing had Randy and Matt Riddle feud within a year. I think they probably would have been broken up by now. Okay, okay. But who knows? I mean, stranger things have happened. I think everybody's still just waiting to see what's up with Randy Orton because I miss having him in my ring. Specifically as a heel. But talking about someone who is being missed in the ring, CM Punk. Um, A couple months ago, it came out that he was terminated from AEW for a multitude of different reasons. Multiple fights. <laughs> Apparently, he made Tony Khan not feel safe backstage. A whole bunch of stuff. And let's be honest, it doesn't seem like a lot of current WWE superstars are welcoming him back in the locker room. It doesn't seem like they really want him back in Vince McMahon's company. However, that feeling is not company-wide. Shawn Michaels, who has been the showrunner for NXT for the past couple of years, recently talked about the possibility of CM Punk and the star power he could potentially bring not only to NXT, but WWE as a whole. Um, here's what he said. He said, of course we'd welcome him here in NXT. My guess is he'd probably want to go to the main roster. I always enjoyed working with Phil. Don't get... Uh, to do it much. I understood him. Whether you want to say there were similarities in us, I can't lie. We were at TV, and once he pulled out his wallet on the spot, an autograph that I had signed for him in a hotel that he still had. I've always liked him. I understand he's kind of a different cat and can sometimes be challenging to get along with people, but that is probably why I like him, because I suffer from the same thing. Obviously, that's for people to decide higher up on the food chain than I am. He's a guy that does numbers and makes money. That would be a risk-reward ratio that a company from a company standpoint they'd have to consider when it comes to would we take them in nxt and have them in our on our television are you kidding me of course i would i just don't think anybody would let me who wouldn't take that kind of star power i don't know if i get in trouble for that i'll let you know so it seems that in my opinion the greatest of all time sean michaels would welcome nxt i mean welcome cm punk to nxt with open arms so 
Do you think it's realistic to say that we could see CM Punk on NXT one day? I would say if he comes back, yes. Um, he caused so much. Well, I don't know everything, but it was a lot of problems with him at AEW. I just say that. But I do think a lot of problems that happened to AEW wouldn't happen in WWE. Um, because um, he, he knows. He worked with WWE, and he knows like they're not going to take all that. So I think he would be better in WWE. Um, and I can see him doing NXT stuff, not being like probably on the roster all the time. Like you see him pumping going down there and um, having a feud or doing a match, kind of like how they have Corbin or they didn't have Becky Lynch down there. Um, uh, Rhea did a match on there, even though she's on the main roster now. I can see him doing something like that if he came back. Yeah, I think – I don't think he would start off at NXT just because, I mean, say what you will about him personally, but he's still CM Punk. Like, the numbers he would draw in WWE would be freaking massive. Now, I could see, like you said, like him potentially after a while going back, kind of like we were seeing with Rhea Ripley and Becky Lynch most recently, kind of going back and having some matches down there, kind of to help build up younger talent. But that's the only way I could see it. But I I think we're probably in agreement. I don't think WWE's going to sign him. I don't. WWE, well, they just got bought by Endeavor, but I don't think, and if it's going to make money, I think they'll do it. It's just, I feel like they will sit Punk down in a room and be like, hey, all this crap they have in the AEW is not happening over here. And I don't think it would, you know what I mean? Um, he was more in a leader role. Not saying he wasn't a leader in WWE, but it was definitely people over him in WWE. And in AEW, he was more in a leader role trying to run the show and all that, which is fine, but it didn't work out. Him coming over here to WWE, he's not about to be bossing around people. He's not going to be bossing around Triple H. He's definitely not bossing around Vince. Like, it's going to be people he might not agree with, but he's not going to step on their toes either. Like, he probably didn't mind over there at AEW. Like, Nick Khan, when you say Nick Khan said he didn't feel safe, Triple H H not going to say that. Triple H is going to be like, hey, you got a problem? Come step in the office real quick. Yeah. Like, he, he, he won't be causing these type of problems over like um, what he did over there over here and I think he has more friends in WWE probably too yeah I can see something like that happening I mean it's just I, I, I again the main reason story. why I say I don't think it's gonna happen is just too many bridges got burned and again like a lot of people in the locker room and high up wrestlers the likes of a Seth Rollins and guys like that like they don't want him back like, there's some other wrestlers who say they'd be cool with it and it brings more eyes to the company, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like it probably would hurt morale to bring him back, especially if he tries that same BS that he did at AEW, because you know they're not going to take it. Well, I, I would say this, and uh, <clears throat> as of right now, WWE does not need CM Punk. CM Punk, would, if anything, would need WWE. They 100%. They don't need him, and it's not saying he's not great. You know how I feel about CM Punk. I'm a huge CM Punk fan. Um, but if he's willing to, you know, you know, just not mess things up, I feel like they would. They don't need to, uh, and they probably won't, especially if he's, like, trying to do the most. They, they, he probably won't. But if he wants to come back and make a little more money, put on some good matches, like I said, I want to see him against Cody Rose. That'd be an interesting few, y'all both. One left AEW and one got fired. 
Um, you know, it'd be interesting stuff seeing him and Roman, you know, because CM Punk, the shield was his idea. CM Punk would probably be like, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff you can do. But um, I will agree with you and say I don't think he's going to get signed with them, but I would love to see it. Yeah. I... The th- we've talked about this, but when CM Punk was kind of doing that best in the world thing, became champion. I love it. I was not watching wrestling at that time. And yeah. so I don't have the emotional attachment to it like a lot of other people do. And so that's why, like, when people talk about CM Punk like that, like, honestly, my favorite version of CM Punk that I've ever seen is Straight Edge Society CM Punk. I know that's not a popular yeah. opinion, but I thought he was amazing. I Give me a heel CM Punk any day of the week. But we'll see how it all shakes out. I think that he's going to be wrestling somewhere. I just don't think it's going to be WWE, or at least no time soon. But where? New Japan? You could say Impact or New Japan. I just feel like... You think it's WWE or Bust? I don't think he's going to be wrestling forever. No, of course not. You know, and I feel like he wants to make the most money while he's here. Which, who wouldn't want to make the most money? You know, you know your time is dwindling and down as a wrestler. And um, shoot, every time he won the championship at AEW, he ended up getting injured while doing it. So because he old, yeah, he's, he's old, especially for wrestling terms. Old, and you want to make the most money while you can. So if I was him, I'd just be like, look, I'm trying to make my money. And they, they can say Bridges was burnt, but don't forget, um, a couple months ago, I can't remember what time he was actually backstage at WWE show. Then I think somebody said he had to leave, but he was backstage and people was talking to him. So. You know, it's always something there. But if I was him, I'd be trying to make the most money I can. Uh, if WWE is willing to bring me back, you know WWE's got to pay him. I don't know if they're going to pay him what he wants, but he's going to get paid. So and, what um, you're telling me is if he's trying to make money, he need to go to 901 Wrestling. That's all I'm hearing. Uh, hey, if CM Punk came to 901 Wrestling, I got to get an autograph because I guarantee you, if he did, it'd be for one night and one night only. And if they paid him, I don't want to shut down afterwards. What you talking about? You would be, you gonna be his first opponent, and he gonna be that forever. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, okay. You been dreaming hard, huh? I don't know what you laugh. I'm serious. I'm super serial. No, I don't want you to fool with CM Punk. What? Uh, so you, you tell, you're not telling me you're scared of CM Punk, are you? I, I didn't say that. See, that you put weird. Hey, next, let's keep going. Let's keep moving. Mm. Alright, last thing before we make our fast lane predictions. We talked about the speculation and the possibility of CM Punk signing with WWE, but there is one superstar who is guaranteed to be joining the WWE roster sooner rather than later, and that is Jade Cargill, former champion over at AEW. I think she won like 50 matches in a row uh, before she lost a match. Honestly, I'm, I'm gonna show my ignorance here. I don't know much about her before, besides the fact that she is black, strong, and beautiful. That's all I got. I don't know anything else about her, but I'm excited. Do, do you watch AEW? I know, I know we talk about WWE. Do you watch much AEW? Uh, I do not watch much AEW at all. You forgot when you were saying things. Uh, she's also my ex-wife. Hey, she could be my new one now that she's back home in WWE. Wow. I'm telling EO and Oscar you said that. Or whichever one. I don't know how you got them ordered up. Okay, but she is coming. We don't know exactly when she's coming, but she's going to be here. I would bet the Royal Rumble. I would bet money on the Royal Rumble. Okay. I I don't know. But 
what I do know is you and I, we love putting on our booking hat. We love stepping yes. into the creative chair and booking feuds and pay-per-views and all that jazz. So let's book Jade Cargill's first WWE feud. Mm, first WWE feud. Mm. Ladies first, go ahead. Okay. Bet, bet, bet. So it's interesting because, like, there's a couple different ways I think we could go with this. Um... Because, I mean, first question has to be, is she going to SmackDown or is she going to Raw? I think Raw needs her more, so we're going to go Raw, okay? <clears throat> so, for those of you who watched Raw this past week, you saw how it opened the show with, like, low-key a four-way brawl between Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, Raquel Rodriguez, and um, Rhea Ripley. Well, I say that we continue that the domination of Nia Jax going. Not saying she beats Rhea Ripley or anything, but let's say Fastlane, they add a car, a match on the card where it's a one-on-one match with either her and Shayna Baszler or her and uh, Raquel Rodriguez. Go ahead and just keep building up the stature of Nia Jax as she is dominating. She doesn't care who it is. Everybody finna get this work. She gets the pay-per-view win, continues to raise hell um, throughout the episodes of Raw. I kind of, I'm kind of with you on Royal Rumble, but for the sake of this booking, I'm not going to say Royal Rumble. I think that they could probably do something along the lines of, I'm going to look at the pay-per-view schedule. Let me cheat real quick. Because Fastlane, oh, okay, got it, boom, boom, boom. So, Nia Jax dominating, kicking ass, taking names, it's getting ugly. So, as she's kicking people's ass, throughout the year, we get to Survivor Series, which is next month. And the women of Raw are like, you know what? We don't like it. We don't want you, but we need you on Team Raw. Because I'm assuming they're going to do the brand split. Let me have my moment. So she's on the team. Team SmackDown is being comprised. They can either do like a kayfabe injury to someone, or they can literally be like, yo, we don't know who our fifth woman is going to be. And so... Fast forward to Survivor Series, Nia Jax is dominating the competition, knocking people out left and right because Team SmackDown came out with only four women. Next thing you know, it's down to, let's say, Nia Jax and... uh, Let's say Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. And right now, it's only one person left. Bianca Belair is not in the title picture right now, so let's say it's just Bianca. She is getting beat up. She is getting her ass whooped. And then all of a sudden, Jay Cargill comes out. She is the mysterious fifth member of Team SmackDown. She helps Bianca Belair out, goes ahead, beats up Shayna Baszler. Baszler gets eliminated. She and Bianca Belair are like, hey, let's work together. We got to beat up Nia Jax. They work together, eliminate Nia Jax. Everything's all hunky-dory. You think, hey, maybe Bianca and uh, Jay Cargill are friends. Maybe this is going to be a tag team. Nah, Jay Cargill turns on her. That's her first feud. See, I, I'm sorry I'm sorry to interrupt, but see, I had to kind of trick y'all with the Nia Jax stuff in the beginning. Have you think that's where we were going to go? Nah, that's too easy. It's too easy. <laughs> nah, that's too easy. We got to hit the swerve. Well, I, I told you mine. But I can go another way. 
which is not as fun, but I can see it happening. I mean, you can say um, whatever you want to say. This is your moment to shine. You are a king. Well, I, I say both, because remember, I told you the one with Bobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go a different way. So I have her. She's not that great in the ring. She's uh, okay. better. So when WWE has a star like that coming, but they're not that great in the ring, what do they usually do? They put them in a tag match. So if you want to use her star, you can always put her, who's to say, L.A. Knight is about to win a championship, but he has to finish his feud with The Miz, and The Miz comes back, causes him. Now it's Miz and Maurice. Versus L.A. Knight and Jay Cargill for a show. Okay. I can see that happen easily because the Miz is really good at his job, and whenever they want somebody to come in, you know, and do a little tag match or whatever to get their skills going. But the real one, the one that I want, is I want Bobby Lashley and Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins to get a girl in the group, and they can actually debut her, join the group. And then she just goes through the WWE roster on SmackDown. But then she runs into Bianca Belair. And then now it's like, hey, Montez, well, whose side are you on? Are you trying to side with your wife? Or are you with this? I, I, what's the name of their group? I don't know. Who's going to say, are you with the business? You with the business. Well, he decides to choose his wife as he should. The only correct answer, men. <laughs> only correct answer. I agree. You choose your wife, right? So now this is a huge feud going on with Bianca and Jay, which I don't know who would win it at that point because, but like I say, her debut would be with five of them. That also gives her, you know, some, even though she's not with another lady, it gives her, like, credibility. Oh, she with Bobby. Okay, so she means business. Because everybody might not know her from AEW. So you know she's, like, somebody important. So now you got that going on, and now you have Montez turning. Now he has a face turn. And now you have three stars in a circle. Now you can do a few with Montez and D'Angelo uh, Dawkins. I guess his name up. Or you can do Montez and Bobby. And you still got Bianca versus Jay, which is just what really everybody wants. Any WWE fan that watches WWE and watches AEW like both, uh, they, they want to see that view. And I think that's what it should be building towards, which would be a banger match because regardless how good – Jay Cargill is, let's say she's not that great yet. Bianca is a great wrestler and she's going to make it work. And she's going to make you believe in that match. And I want to see it. Now, hear me out, though. Hear me out, though, my brother in Christ. You know, there are multiple similarities between Bianca Belair and Jade Cargill. But. Uh, I mean, it's similarities, but. Let's be honest. People compare them because they are both black, strong, beautiful, and powerhouses. That's why. That's the only, that's the, that's why they're compared. I mean, I mean, I have no problem with that. I mean, they both are powerhouses. They both are. Um, well, I'll always say Bianca is way better in the ring. Way For sure, better. I can't really speak well, to Jade, Jade, Jade in the Jade ring because I haven't really watched her. I might have seen one or two Jade Cargill matches. I forget how long she's been wrestling. Though. I, I think like I don't think it's she, that long. She's been wrestling long, so she has you know she she can grow. Um, but yeah, I, I see what you like. That's what most of the comparisons for. And they both was like dominant champions at the same time. Like I remember like going through the like Bianca historic reign and um, her reign. Like they both had historic reigns. It was going at the same time. And I, I think the main reason they was really compared, which I'm not saying you're wrong. You're absolutely right with what you said. 
I think the main reason was, was because WWE and AEW are quote-unquote rivals, and then you had two dominant women that just have to be black, just have to be powerhouses, dominating their um, divisions at the same time. But I guarantee you, if she was... If Jane was not in AEW, I don't think they would have been compared as much. That's just my personal opinion on it. If she was doing that in Impact, I don't think she would have been as compared to uh, Bianca. Because Jane is great, but right now, I'm saying right now, she has a lot of room to grow. I'm not saying she can't grow. She is not talent-wise on the same par as Bianca. I agree, but I think that, again... I know more about, like, the gimmick of Jay Cargill. And obviously, like, now their gimmicks are different. They're both flashy, in a sense, but they're not exactly the same gimmick. And so my question is, before, and then after this, we can move on to Fastlane. What do you think she's going to be in WWE? See, I mean, that's a good question. And that's why I said... Like I say, I heard I I've never watched a Jay Cargill match, but I heard she's not great in the ring. So you want to put her, you want to put her with somebody so until she gets better, and she might, you know, then she can turn on them or whatever she wants to do. I would think you have to make her a heel. It's just my personal opinion because if she comes in as a face, they will be comparing her to Bianca, as you know, two women, black women powerhouses and all that. She has to come in as a heel. Now, she don't have to be like a... She can just be one of those people that's like a heel. Um, I'm trying to think of somebody. Not like real, but like somebody that just beats up people. She just does her own thing. If you want to do something like that, she just does her own thing, beat up people. She, she can't, I, I can't see her as a face. Her and Bianca, I don't see them like... If, you, if she's a face, people are going to match up with Bianca. And you don't need that. You don't want that. Because then they keep getting matched together they going to start looking at Jade as a, I hate to say it like this, a rip-off Bianca. You don't want that because she's good in her own right. You know what I mean? And you want her to be yeah. known for her own. So, I don't know. Like, I would think she has to come in as a heel, though. That's just my personal opinion. I think they'll probably just have her start off, like, showing off her charisma on the mic and just with her overall, like, just who she is as a person. And probably just have a few squash matches and not really lean one way or another whether or not she is supposed to be a heel or a face. But then I think she's going to end up turning on somebody um, who is a prominent face. Not even like a Bianca Belair, but just somebody like within that realm. Maybe a Asuka. Um, dang, what other faces are on SmackDown? Charlotte's technically a face, but is she really a face? No. Charlotte is wherever you want her to be at the moment. Not, not even that. It's just... I don't think fans get behind Charlotte as a face. They don't. And so that's why, like, to me, like, technically right now she's a face, but Charlotte will always be a heel to me. There's just no way she can't be a heel. One, she's better as a heel, just gimmick-wise. And two, fans are so not against her, but they have such, like, so many negative opinions about her and where she is in the business and what she's accomplished to where you can't realistically push her as a face because the fans aren't going to get behind it. Like, if she won the championship on Saturday, people would be pissed. But I would say this, and now this gets back to what I was saying earlier. If, um, 
if Judgment Day, which we're going to get to that in a second, like keep their tag titles and they end up running towards Montez Ford and D'Angelo Dawkins, <laughs> if um, let's say they're having a match, you know, Rhea Ripley comes out, you can debut her like that. When she does join Bobby, then she can attack Rhea Ripley. Oh, then yeah, yeah she'd definitely be a heel. Because regardless of what Rhea Ripley says on the mic, she's a face. Everybody loves yes, mommy. Yeah, but you know, I say Bobby and them are trying to be heels, so I, I just feel like she should come in as a heel. Because if you bring her in as a heel, she's going to get better over time. And it's just leading to your big match against her and Bianca sooner or later. Yeah, agreed. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our... Fast lane predictions. Low-key, I feel like there may be a match or two missing. I feel like they're going to do something with the women that we mentioned, the Nia, Raquel, Rhea, uh, Shayna, like in some capacity, or at least they should. Um, but as of right now, let's just talk about the matches that we know are taking place. Starting off with the six-man tag between the LWO and Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits. I got Bobby and the Street Profits. Me either. I'm excited about this one. Um, definitely Bobby and the Street Profits. Definitely, 100%. I think it's going to be a quick match, not a long one. And they're just going to go ahead and win and be done with it. Yeah, I think so too, which is also another reason why I think they need to add another match to the card. All right, next up we have the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship match between the Judgment Day members, Damian Priest and Finn Balor versus Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso. I got Damian Priest and Finn Balor just because I don't think Cody Rhodes and Jay Uso are going to work that well together, storyline-wise. And also, Cody's going to SmackDown, so it doesn't make sense to make him a tag champ right now. Well, it would make sense. Uh, I, well, first, let me answer this. Uh, I do have Judgment Day winning that match. But um, with all kind of reasons, it could be that dumb JD, Rhea get involved, the numbers game, or it could be Kevin Owens is finally tired of it and causes uh, Cody Rose to the match. Or Drew McIntyre, which is saying stuff on occasion. He doesn't like Jay. He doesn't want Jay to win. So there's a lot of ways it can go. But definitely Judgment Day, I believe, is going to walk out with it. But if Cody Rose them did win, the only way I can say he can get away with it is because he's holding both brand titles. So he technically he can be able to go. But the thing is, I don't see Jay going back and forth because, and we'll get to this later, but it's like if Jay is going back and forth again, eventually that's just going to lead to more bloodline stuff. And then I feel like that's going to overshadow them being tag champs. So unless you're going to have them be champs for like five minutes before they lose it, it doesn't make any sense. And then also I feel like, the the Judgment Day need the titles more right now because there's they still got their own story they need to tell. Um, with JD McDonough, Nano there, uh, Finn and Damien having some low key tension. So I just think that taking the belts off of them, unless this was supposed to be a way for like the Judgment Day to implode, it doesn't make that much sense to me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that, it seems like they're heading that way. I'm definitely gonna watch NXT tonight to see if Dom wins. Oh, he's not going uh, to. Uh, I can see him winning. That would be whack. Why would you take the title? Why would you take the title off him for five seconds just for him to win it back? I could. I'll say it like this. I could see him potentially winning, not clean, and then not That's leaving saying, with the title. I, I don't see him winning clean. I could see him them cheating. No, I mean like. 
I, no, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just mean like I could see them winning, him winning, but like D getting disqualified or something. I don't think he's leaving with the championship. It's possible. It depends how they want to break. I was shocked he lost it to begin with, but uh, uh, it depends on what they want to do with the storyline. I mean, if he went and wins and they get disqualified, maybe it's Damian fault. Or, like I say, maybe Carmelo Hayes comes out to try to help and end up costing his friend the match so they can have their feud. There's a lot of ways it can go. I don't... I know I'm not the biggest NXT aficionado, but I don't think it. Re- there's no really no reason for Melo and Trick to feud no more because Melo's not champion no more. I agree, but I'm saying maybe Melo tries to come out there and help him, and he fails or something happens. You know, like I said, who knows? I, I, I just I feel like Dom should have held it longer, but. I disagree. I mean, I'm just, you, a dumb, I'm just a dumb fan. No, no, no. I'm a fan too, but you know how I feel about like main roster superstars coming and holding NXT championships. But he was down there. He was always down there. It's not like he wasn't. On I mean, but I but and I feel like he didn't got better because of because his match on last last Monday was pretty good. Like one of the best matches he's had in a while. I'll tell you that. I still just I just don't like it. I rather it just be if you're here you're here and if you're not don't contend for championships like becky lynch i understand it from an exposure standpoint that's great but at the end of the day she's just building up these people to lose you know so i just yeah, I guess I see your point with that. yeah so but uh let's go ahead and move on to the wwe women's championship triple threat we have eo sky defending her title against oscar and charlotte flair while for a very long time, the long-time listeners know, I made it a point to never pick against Charlotte Flair at a pay-per-view, but this time I'm going to do it. I think EO retains, but I'm not that confident in that pick. Wow. I'm going EO as well. I don't see the reason to put something the butt out her now. Um, I, I, I see, you know, Charlotte probably getting close, but EO finding a way or, you know, uh, the only way I see EO losing is if Bailey costs her the match because yeah. it's Bailey's fault that they're in it's a triple threat now anyway. So I could see that um being why she would lose. But I think EO wins and then Bianca Belair comes back, knock on wood, I hope she does. Because technically EO did beat her to be champion, and she hasn't gotten her rematch yet, so. That is true. So, EST, if you want to come to Indy, fingers crossed, please do. I'm all for it. Um, But, all right, next up, we have John Cena and LA Knight versus The Bloodline, a.k.a. Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa. As much as I hate to say this and as much as I'm going to hate when it happens, I got John Cena and LA Knight. Yeah, this is a tough one because, like, Jimmy... Solo. First of all, Jimmy shouldn't be hanging out with him anyway, but whatever. You know, Jimmy um, just trying to find his place in the world, you know? That's all he's trying to do. You're right. He's just trying to find his place. His wife is in TNA. He's just like, man, I don't, my brother on another show. My cousin is crazy. And, and, and they gotta, the and they gotta buy time. They can't just thrust him, you know, into he's him versus alone. Jay. You know, they gotta find he's interesting. Really, like, for real, he's all alone, for real. <laughs> I mean, he got his other brother. You know, that might kill him at any moment. So, you well, know, so yeah, that's happening on moment. Saturday because Jay's this isn't the tiebreaker, so I can say what I think. Jay is gonna, I mean, not Jay, Jimmy's gonna end up 
taking the pin. Solo's going to be like, you know what? F this and beat the hell out of Jimmy. And all this little bloodline thing is going to be over. And then Jimmy really is going to be all alone. And I hate it for him. I wish they would, though. Yeah, I agree. It's just, it's too many things not working in the bloodline's favor. Obviously, I think this match is bigger than Saturday night. It's it's a, just another part of the story of the bloodline. But, I mean, you know how I feel about John Cena. I get it from a nostalgia tip. It's fine. It's great. I don't really ever have to see him wrestle again. L.A. Knight is fine in a ring, but it is what it is. But I'm more interested in the Jimmy Uso. And, like, I would rather see him them build him up and to be, like, taking kind of – I know he's kind of goofy. Like, the way he sold that uh, slap by Mia Yim was goofy as hell. But <laughs> – I would rather him kind of be built up to be taken more seriously because right now, if they had a match between Jay Uso and Jimmy, Jay is a billion percent gonna win. Yeah, go go ahead. I'm sorry, and I feel like when the first match does happen, because you know they're gonna stretch it out, I think Jay is gonna win too. But I don't want it to feel like obvious that Jay is going to win because it's hard to take Jimmy serious right now. And so I'd rather him stack up some wins by himself to show, hey, he may be main event Jay Uso, but that's only because I got hurt. I'm the better Uso. Like, I would rather see them kind of tell that story as opposed to, like, Jimmy kind of being a side a side character, if that makes sense. No, I get where you're coming from. Um, if, if anything, if it goes like you just said and Solo, like, destroys Jimmy, I think they need to like go on a route where Jimmy just stops caring about everything and just starts like destroying everybody. It doesn't matter who it is. And, like even if he doesn't win a match, he might even if he doesn't win, he needs to be like the last one standing type of stuff. Yeah. Like like hey, like um maybe like you said, they need to build up Jimmy to really be a threat. And like and they they can. Like, I say after this, after they lose this match and solo destroys him and Jimmy just be like, I'm tired of this. I don't need nobody, you know, all y'all abandoned me, so whatever. And he just goes on his own little run of just destroying everybody. Then, you know, you got Jay on the other side winning matches. Yeah, I did it would be very interesting. Like, okay, one went on a whole dark road while Jay went on a better road. You know, who's about to win this, you know? Yeah, agreed. But, I mean, yeah, L.A. Knight, John Cena win. I hope it's not the main event. Why? Because this should be the main event. A last man standing match between Seth Rollins and Shinsuke Nakamura for the World Heavyweight Championship. I'm picking Seth, but I would love for Shinsuke to win. So, one thing, I definitely think this is going to be the main event. I don't, again, not trying to give John props, but since he's coming back, unless it's like a super big match, he ain't trying to be in the main event, which I respect. And he don't need to be. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't need to be either. You're correct, but I think he, like, said that one time, like, he's not trying to be, I could be wrong, but I think he said something like that, like, you know, he, he's not trying to, like, be in the main event. That's why he, like, freaking started off WrestleMania 
Um, which I respect because some people want to be the star of the show all the time. Um, you. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was easy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to do it. Where did that come? I just like, um, this is a tough one. I'm going to say Seth. And the only reason I'm saying I really love her to be Shinsuke. But I'm going to say Seth only because I really want Drew to go on this heel turn and take the belt from Seth. Yeah. Sign me up. That's what I want. But at the same time, I keep forgetting Damian Priest has his freaking briefcase. So it's just a lot going on there. But. I mean, I really want Shinsuke to win if I'm going south of the Clips line. So, Drew seems like the best one to take that belt off of him right now. Yeah, agree. All right, now on to our tiebreaker. Let's talk triple threat matches, the women's championship match. Friendly reminder, it includes EO, Asuka, and Charlotte Flair. The tiebreaker for this pay-per-view is who takes the pin slash submission. Hmm? I'm going first because last time you went first and I want to choose the same thing. That's cool. You know what? And you know what? You know what we're going to do? You have to say how they lose. You know what? what? No. Can we change this on the fly? To what? Since we got two triple threat matches, let's do it for both. Okay. Who takes the pin in both? So I'm going to say for the one women, that you're going to do your women, then I'm going to do the men, you do the men. So for the women, I think... It's going to be Oscar, but I think it's going to be a pin. Uh, EO is going to pin her. Maybe um, Charlie goes for a spear or something and damage control gets involved, but EO is going to pin Oscar for the wins. Okay. Um, For ladies, I am in agreement with you. I also have Oscar taking the pin, but I think it's going to be, I don't know if this is what you meant, but I think it's going to be a case of, Damage control neutralizes Charlotte and Asuka hit, I mean, Asuka, EO hits her with, I don't know what her finisher is called, but it's beautiful. The moonsault and wins. Like, I think it's not going to be like a, oh, snap, Charlotte, you got taken out the play. Let me go ahead and drag you over and like get a quick pin. I don't know what you meant by that, but yeah. Um, And then for the men's, wait, what do you mean triple threat? You mean uh, tag team matches? Oh shoot! My bad. I did. I did say triple threat. Yeah, that was the tag team. That's my bad. You're good. My bad. Which 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 tag team match? You know what? Uh, I was talking. I was talking about the, to make it hard. The Bobby versus the LWO. That's not the, hard though. It's four, it's four members, so you don't know which four, which three are going to be in the match on the LWO. That's so still not that hard because everybody knows they're going to lose. They don't wrestle. Embryo. Whoever, whether it's Joaquin Wilde or Cruz Del Toro, they're going to be the one taking the loss. See, see, so listen, I wasn't even, nope, nope. So that, all right, you know, what, you, know what, you know what? Which one's going to take the loss? That makes it difficult. You don't know which one's going to take the thing. You got to choose which one you think. It doesn't matter. Either the or. It, the thing is, Ray's not taking it. Santos ain't taking it. It's going to be one of those two. So that's you, what know what, you know what? Gonna, you know what? You know what? No, gonna no. Bobby was going to pay in Ray. I was going to say Bobby was going to pay in Ray. Okay, well, you want to know what's going to really make it harder? What? Judgment Day versus Cody and Jay. That's the hard one. That is the hard one. So let's do that one. Okay. No, no, no. No, no, I already said it. So. <laughs> I think. You don't even know. You don't even know. I think that. Okay, here, here's where I am. I think. Looks like Cody and Jay are going to win. 
heel Drew McIntyre makes his appearance. Gives that future chalk DDT to Jey Uso. He takes the pin from Finn Balor after a coup de gras. So I'm going to say Jey pin. I'm going to say Jey pin. I thought I was supposed to be going first. No, 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 no. Because you got women and you said I got men. All right, so I think they're about to win. Bill Drew comes out. And Claymore's Jay. And then Finn gets the win off the Kuga. So, all right. So, I'm saying DD, Future Shock, DDT. <laughs> so, pretty much the same thing. All right. All right. Um, the, the, the winning factor, the side factor is going to be like, which one is he going to do? Is he going to do the Claymore? Or the, the DDT, which you might win because he did that last night. Like, was that his finisher in NXT or was it always the Claymore? I think. Well, that was his old finisher when his first run. It was the DDT. Yeah, so I wonder if he bringing that back. Is he just done with the Claymore? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. I think the Claymore will probably come back on like special occasions, but like this. All right, so I'm saying Future Shock DDT with the pin and Jay gets pinned. You're saying Claymore gets pinned and we're probably gonna both be wrong and he's not even gonna show up but <laughs> it's gonna be jimmy watch it, <laughs> damn it might be hey i'll take, hey, take a tie as well i didn't lost two pay-per-views in a row uh you know what we'll see we will see i i, I think i lost two in a row so i will happily take a tie <laughs> e- either way i'm excited to watch and i'm so excited that you guys were here you took the time out to listen to us and that we appreciate you Embryo, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for doing this with me. It is always a blessing to hear your voice. It's always a blessing to hear yours, too. You know I love you. Thanks for everybody listening. It's a wonderful privilege to be here. Yes. Again, thank you all so much for listening. Ethan, appreciate you. Uh, We recorded your part earlier in the week. Appreciate you for being here. For him, I know he's going to say, Go Tigers, go. Go Memphis, of course. For me, go Tigers. LSU, you know y'all defense freaking sucks. Um, also, show some love to, uh, he's going to say go Titans. I can't t- necessarily say that because the Titans play the Colts this week and the Colts play my bills. So, I'll just leave that there. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, one more thing before I let you go. You think you could pull out that emo look that Jimmy Butler had at Media Day? I saw that in I was going to say no, but when I'm dedicated, I can pull living things off. Uh, no, I, I'm going to say no because I wouldn't be dedicated. Why not be dedicated, King? You, you going to give me $100? Who got $100 to give? Yeah, I'll do it for $100. Oh, well, I ain't got $100, so. How much, how much, how much you think it costs for the emo weed? What do you, just straighten your hair out. So I don't want to do it to my hair. Oh, well. I, just wear a weed. I, just, I, I mean, look weed. what but well, look what Jimmy did. His hair is back in braids today. We're recording this Tuesday. So, you know. I believe in you. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to just stay smooth, you know. Okay. Hey, go Bucks. We'll talk about that more. Uh, but like again. Go Chris. You hear me? Nah, you said Bucks. Just so you know, you said Bucks first. No, 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 no. Let's not ignore the fact you said. Nah, nah, my brother. Uh huh, uh huh. So we just gonna skate over the fact you said go Bucks before you said go Grizz. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You hear that, Grizzlies? He's cheating on you. 
only say go Bucks first because I'm a huge Damian Lillard fan, mm-hmm. and I'm happy for him. Mm-hmm. And I love Giannis, and they both got what they want. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's like, okay? Mm, just cheating on the Grizzlies. I'm, I would never. I got to take two to prove I'd never cheat. Well, you just did. All right, Black again, thank you guys. Cheat. So much for listening. Next week, we will be talking about the Grizzlies and more with our Western yes. Conference breakdown. Embryo again, yes, thank, you, thank you so much for being here. Always a pleasure. You're the best. And um, we'll see y'all later. Thanks for listening.